the beauty of intermittent fasting, it has reconnected me with my hunger and satiety signals to the point that now I consider myself to be a very intuitive eater within my intermittent fasting paradigm. I know when I need to eat more. I know when I've had enough. I focus on nutritious foods. My body lets me know. It's not a struggle. I don't feel like I'm fighting my body because I understand my body and I'm working with it. And that's, that's the beauty of it. So anybody listening that's felt like this constant struggle like I did for all those decades, you're fighting against your body because you're using bad information. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. Today, I'm speaking to my friend, Jen Stevens. And Jen Stevens is the author of the New York Times and USA Today bestseller called Fast, Feast, and Repeat, and Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle, an Amazon number one bestseller in the weight loss category, as well as the book called Cleanish, Eat Mostly Clean, Live Mainly Clean, and Unlock Your Body's Natural Ability to Self-Clean, which was another Amazon number one bestseller in several categories. Jen has been living the intermittent fasting lifestyle since 2014 after losing 80 pounds using intermittent fasting. She is the host of the top-ranked podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, and the Fast, Feast, and Repeat Intermittent Fasting for Life podcast with Sherry Bullock. You can join her private community by going to jenstevens.com community and there you can get a little more of Jen than what you will get today. So welcome, Jen Stevens, and I can't wait for you to have a, a listen to our conversation and talk about the truths of fasting, the differences between a clean fast, a dirty fast, what she learned along the way. She is one of the leading experts in fasting. And like I said, she's just a joy and a good friend of mine. So thank you and welcome back to Menopause Mastery. All right, Jen, I am so excited to talk to you and, and talk about your story and all the things that you know about fasting and what my, what my listeners really need to understand about appropriate fasting. So let's start with kind of how you got here, because you're not, you're not necessarily out in the world saying, I want to be the leader in healthcare in fasting and help people understand that's not where you came from. Definitely not. I am a teacher. I'm a teacher at heart. I was an elementary school teacher for 28 years, in fact. I have a bachelor's degree in elementary education, a master's in natural sciences, and a doctorate in gifted education. So the only people who called me Dr. Stevens were elementary gifted kids. <laughs> so, you know, why am I writing health and wellness books? Why do I have health and wellness podcasts? It's because I struggled with my weight for decades. You know, I, I have a very typical story. I won't tell the whole thing here, but any of your listeners' stories, if you've yo-yoed, if you've gone up and down, if one day you got on the scale and saw that you were obese, we probably have a very similar story. In 2014, you know, I got on the scale after being on a family vacation and looking at my photos, 
I didn't even recognize myself. So when I got home, I got on the scale, it said 210 pounds and I'm five, five. So that put me solidly in the obese category. And so I was like, you know, I've got to do something. Well, spoiler alert, guess what I did? <laughs> I did intermittent fasting and I went on to lose 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting. I've been keeping it off ever since I reached my initial goal weight, which was in 2015. I have now been through menopause. I'm on the other side of menopause. I just turned 54. And for the first time in really my entire life from birth, I am the same size year after year. I mean, I guess if you go all the way back to birth, you're growing, 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 <laughs> going through, you know, teenage years growing. But as soon as I went through puberty and reached my, you know, adult size, the yo-yoing began. So I never knew what size I was going to be starting from, from that point on. You know, my very first diet was after freshman year of college, and it was always up and down, up and down since then. But since I hit my goal in 2015, every year I just pull out the same clothes and they fit. It's amazing. Yeah, I think your your story, you know, fits so many women. You know, number one, we've got a culture that teaches you know, whatever body shape we have isn't the right body shape, That's you know, true. according to whatever's popular in media. And I, I would say, you know, I, I started dieting as a teen, like even, the, you know, in my early, like tweens probably, because I always felt that I was junky. And, you know, you, you look back at maybe some of those pictures in high school or whatever, and you're like, what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, but it's, but it's all perception, right? But then we have the true reality of there is, you know, I'm very much into body positivity. I don't have mm -hmm. to be 100 pounds at 5'3", you know, you know what I mean? But I, I do, there is also the other side of me that's a healthcare, you know, provider that says we also need to recognize that if we are obese, we carry, in many cases, not everybody who's obese has over other disease risks, but overall, there's a huge amount of disease risk that goes with it. And I, but I think your story is so much like so many women that we, we're, we tried, Right. We tried using all the classic things. So, like, tell me, what what stuff did you try? Did you try it all? I did it all. The well, season I powder. I did it all. It's funny. <laughs> you know, my, my podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, I've now recorded like 340 episodes or something. And I talk to people who do intermittent fasting. And we all have so many things in common that we've tried. I never tried Weight Watchers, which is odd. I don't know why I never did. <laughs> and um, but I tried literally almost everything, including crazy things, you know. If it had a little bit of scientific whatever behind it, especially if it was written by a doctor, I was like, I'm all in. You know, I tried the HCG diet where you went to a doctor and got injections of pregnancy hormone and ate. I mean, it's crazy stuff that I tried. I got diet pills from my doctor. So those are the most crazy ones. I heard. Oh, I did this crazy five bite diet. It was written by a, a bariatric surgeon who was like, instead of getting the surgery, pretend like you did. I mean, it is horrible. Like what I know now about how our bodies work and how our metabolisms work and what happens if we over restrict. I mean, that diet is like the worst idea in the world. <laughs> You're guaranteed to fail if you do that, you know, but I didn't know I was desperate and I felt like it had to be easier than this. So I went through periods of trying, really, it started off normal counting calories. And then it got steadily crazier over the years as I got more and more desperate. And then finally, I just gave up completely for a period of time until about that 2014 wake up call after that cruise. There was a whole period of time that I was just like, well, I'm just going to be overweight. I don't need to weigh myself. I don't need to look at the scale. It doesn't even matter. I give up. And, you know, I tried intuitive eating at that time and I wasn't very intuitive. I, my, my hormones, my appetite 
you know, hormones were completely out of whack. My ghrelin, my leptin, everything out of whack. So if I asked myself, am I hungry? The answer was always yes. So that didn't work very well at all. But I knew it had to be easier. You know, anybody who's been through these decades of trying, like you said, we have great willpower. And, and once we understand how our bodies work and why our bodies were trying to keep us alive, you know, we're doing these crazy restriction diets and trying so hard. And then our body's like, come on now, you got to eat. And then we suddenly we're binging and we don't understand why. And we think that we're weak. And the beauty of intermittent fasting, it has reconnected me with my hunger and satiety signals to the point that now I consider myself to be a very intuitive eater within my intermittent fasting paradigm. I know when I need to eat more. I know when I've had enough. I focus on nutritious foods. My body lets me know. It's not a struggle. I don't feel like I'm fighting my body because I understand my body and I'm working with it. And that's that's the beauty of it. So anybody listening that's felt like this constant struggle like I did for all those decades, you're fighting against your body because you're using bad information and the, the toxic diet culture. And when you really learn how to work with your body and you learn to listen to your body, it's total freedom. Yeah, you know, and I think it's, you know, I'm glad you said that, you know, the intuitive eating, because, you know, yeah. of course, as a, a nutrition professional with a lot of psychiatry in my office, as a matter of fact, we have a psychiatrist, we have psychologists, and there's this, you know, idea of intuitive eating, but it, it's hard to be intuitive when every biological messenger your body has says you're starving and you're hungry because right. when you're insulin and leptin resistant mm -hmm. and all those hormones are out of whack, your cells aren't getting the food. So you truly Correct. are hungry. And so, you know, there's a, the idea of sort of, I, I like to call it the therapeutic window of a diet, you know, mm -hmm. dietary change. Let me say that dietary change where we're doing something to sort of help the body sort of recover that metabolic flexibility. But the ultimate goal is to always have the maintenance situation that you're, that is your new lifestyle. And this right. is what we do going forward because now your body operates properly. And so tell me about your, so you, you started, you know, kind of yo-yoing and all these other things. You come across fasting. Tell me, how did you start your fasting? Because in 2014, there wasn't a lot of instruction about fasting, there right? There wasn't, which is actually right? why I started writing books. The teacher in me, you know, the more like, I learned, I need to the, educate. I was like, we got to have a book that tells people how to really do this. But you know, I actually, believe it or not, started dabbling in fasting in 2009. And, you know, there were a few things out there at the time, you know, Eat, Stop, Eat with Brad Pilon, Dr. Burt Hearing, Fast Five, which was a 19-5 approach, five-hour eating window, 19 hours of daily fasting. A few things like that. Alternate daily fasting was out there. You know, the 5-2 came along, the every other day diet. There was another guy that did an alternate daily fasting kind of approach. But every single one of those, all of them, pretty much thought back at that time, or, or at least they, they, they claimed, well, this fasting only works because you're eating fewer calories. There was nothing about metabolic flexibility, nothing about insulin, nothing about metabolic flexibility and tapping into your fat stores for fuel because you're keeping your insulin down. So I never understood the magic of fasting and the clean fast, which I can talk about later. That's actually terminology that I came up with in, I think it was around 2017. We started using that, that terminology in my intermittent fasting support groups. And luckily it has stuck, but it wasn't until I actually was desperate finally in 2014 that I was like, I'm just going to make this work and I'm just going to do it. And I wasn't fasting clean yet at that time. I was white knuckling it through, but I was very, very desperate <laughs> to find something. So I stuck to it anyway. The real turning point for me was reading the obesity code in 2016. Have you read the obesity code? Love it. 
Yeah. That is when all the light bulbs went off. You know, I had lost initially 75 pounds. Initially, that was my goal. I wanted to see 135 on the scale. And starting at 210, that just seemed like pie in the sky. So I got to 135, declared myself at goal. That was it, working on maintaining. Well, a funny thing happened after that. From 2015 till early 2016, I was slowly regaining a little bit of weight during that time. I regained about eight pounds, but I was like, I'm not going to regain this weight. Then I read the obesity code in 2016. Finally, finally, I understood it is not just calories in, calories out. That is what Jason Fung taught me. It is, you know, you can control what you put in only to a degree, but what your body does with it is going to be very, very different. And that was just eye-opening, you know, that your body could change the calories outside of the equation. And that's pretty much what was happening to me. And a lot of it has to do with insulin, what's going on in your body. And that was the day I understood, okay, if I'm going to fast, I need to fast in a way that keeps my insulin down. And so that was the day I switched to black coffee. That was the day I stopped chewing gum during my fast. That's the day I stopped flavoring my water, even zero calorie things like putting in a lemon wedge or having a little apple cider vinegar. I switched to plain water, plain sparkling water, black coffee only. And all of a sudden, I was no longer white knuckling it in my fast. Also, I lost the eight pounds I had regained plus more. And really understanding the role of insulin and how diet sodas or flavored waters or putting a little bit of cream in, in your coffee because you saw on the internet that you could, you know, all of that stuff. Going to a truly clean fast was so transformational for me that I just really wanted to share it with everybody. So that's really my life's mission. I just don't want people to fast. I want people to fast clean and see the difference between what they might have done before when they thought they were fasting and, and what the clean fast can really do for you. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I have so many mis people with misconceptions, you know, oh, I'm yeah. like, okay, the eighties called and they wanted your diet back. So if you had a Starbucks, you know, latte in the morning and you skipped lunch and then had dinner, you didn't, that's not a fast, no. right? That's just haphazard eating and white knuckling it until dinner. It's a low calorie diet is what it is. Right. Like we did that in the eighties and it didn't yeah. work right? and right. possibly the nineties. Yeah. And, and the truth is, is there's so many things that hit those nutrient sensing pathways yeah. that tells the body foods coming, right. you know, it's really funny because I have people that go, that's impossible. And I've, I've worn a CGM off and on for years. And I have this really unique thing. So I'm a cyclist, right? And I go out and cycle. I cycled on Saturday and midday, you know, in Texas, which is probably stupid, you know, because it was hot, but my body's conditioned to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I go out fasted, right? I go out fasted and I, I don't take anything that's got any flavoring, anything in it. I will take electrolyte water that has nothing in it, which means I've just added stuff like Himalayan right. salt and stuff. Because if I have anything that tastes like something, I, I will get hypoglycemic on that ride. And see, blood, look, that is, that is the cephalic down, phase down insulin to 50. response. Yeah. yeah. The cephalic phase insulin response in action. And, you know, I can see it on a CGM as well because mm -hmm. well, you and I have normal blood sugar levels. If you've got a normal blood sugar level when you're in the fasted state and you have a cephalic phase insulin response, your blood sugar goes down. And so then some people who don't understand say, oh, I can have the diet soda. It didn't raise my blood sugar. I'm like, actually, that... <laughs> You're looking for the opposite, you know. Now, on the flip side, if someone has really high blood sugar and they have a cephalic phase insulin response, it might come down to normal and they think they're doing something great, but their body's just pumped out insulin. And what we want is to keep insulin down because 
One thing Dr. Fung taught me about insulin is it's anti-lipolytic, meaning you cannot tap into your fat stores well if you have high levels of insulin. So it's not just about what your blood sugar is doing. It's really about what your insulin is doing. Now we've got to have somebody who can create a continuous insulin monitor. That would be I'm so praying. Cool. Believe me, there's there's a lot out there looking for it. It's the reagent that's required on the on the stem of this CGM. Okay. Like in order it's it's a technology thing, but it's gotta be coming. You know, at the it's end of the day it's gotta be, be coming. Because we need to see insulin. Right. That's and, what I want to see. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up cephalic phase digestion. So for anybody that doesn't know what that means is just the thought of food, right? Truly honestly the thought of food, that's but true. particularly looking at it like if I start talking about a pickle, right, a big, sour, juicy pickle, most people's mouths will water just a little bit, right? And that's because your brain has already started the digestive process, which has signaled things, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if I think about a chocolate brownie with icing and all that other stuff on it, now the brain is thinking about that. And there's a little tiny bit of insulin that gets drizzled out. But especially if you taste something, particularly if it's sweet, you're going to get right. a pretty significant response. So everybody needs to understand that it doesn't matter if it's zero calorie, the body right. thinks those calories are present and they mm -hmm. are going to respond, period. So at that point, all bets are off. You're no longer in a fasted state. All and the, the insulin. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. And I was I'll, I'll say what really was fascinating to me and helped me really understand it was what mm -hmm. they did with rats. With the, the they, pa they painted their oral cavity with zero calorie sweeteners, artificial sweeteners. They painted the oral cavity so the rats tasted it. They had an insulin response. Then they severed the nerve from the tongue to the brain, painted the oral cavity, no insulin response. It was the taste that did it. There have also been studies where they have like injected straight into somebody's stomach, an artificial sweetener straight into the stomach, no insulin response because there's no taste. So it literally has to do with the taste. And, and that's the thing that's so hard for people to to understand because we've been trained by the diet industry to think that if it says zero calories, it's perfect if you're trying to lose weight. But really, if you're like sipping on a diet soda all day long, your body is pumping out insulin all the time. And it's really bad for your, your metabolism and just in general, just everything's out of whack. Absolutely. You know, one of the most powerful tests, and it's just a tedious test to do, is a glucose insulin tolerance test, which is yep. do somebody fasting, test both of those, the glucose and the insulin, feed them anything, really. You don't even have to give somebody, because usually anybody who's been pregnant has had to go through the test. But, you know, you test it, and then every 30 minutes you check it. And what you will often see in most people that are struggling with their weight is their glucose is completely normal. Right. If anything, the, the 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 rise and fall is fairly uneventful, but that insulin response is crazy. Yeah. And I know when I checked mine, when I was struggling with my weight, it was off the chart. Your insulin? Off, oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. was like, well, if you know, I wish I was playing baseball and I could get it out of the park at that level, <laughs> you know. Uh -huh. So, so the truth is, is that's that is one of the major mainstays that has to get corrected, and we have to yep. quit falling for all this crap in the industry that is just driving people to spend money in the wrong way and do the wrong things. So let's solidify. So you you talk okay. specifically about clean fasting. Yes. So I want you to give just a really good list. Like you ran through it really quickly, but tell okay. them like the top five don't do, <laughs> well, don't do if you're fasting. I'll in the morning. Let me share the three fasting goals and that'll help you know when you understand the three fasting goals it's really easy to decide if something is going to work or not. All right the first fasting goal is keep insulin low so we avoid anything that your brain is going to perceive as being food like don't put cinnamon in your coffee don't drink vanilla coffee bean you know you don't want it to have a food like flavor any kind of sweet flavor anything that your brain thinks is food coming in. The second thing of our fast, our second fasting goal is we want to tap into our stored fat for fuel. 
So to tap into your stored fat for fuel, you are not taking in sources of fat. You're not putting coconut oil in your coffee. You're not putting in MCT oil during the fast. And you know, sure, if you put in coconut oil and MCT oil and butter and all that, you might feel super energetic because you just took in a whole lot of energy and your body's going to turn those into ketones. But what we want is to tap into our own fat and to let our bodies make ketones out of our own stored fat. So don't put anything in your body that's going to be a source of fuel, like a fat source for your body. And then finally, we want to experience increased autophagy. That's fasting goal three. And autophagy is our body's cellular housekeeping it's pretty much like an upcycling or recycling program that goes on in the background. As we get older, you know, autophagy becomes downregulated, down but fasting helps upregulate it. So to keep autophagy going strong, we want to avoid having any sources of protein or food. So you don't want to have bone broth, for example, and, and think that you're fasting. So what can you have? Well, black coffee and plain tea. And when I say tea, I'm talking about actual tea. If you go down the tea aisle, 99% of the things on the tea aisle are not tea. Herbal tea is all fruity and sweet and flavored, and you want to avoid all that. Plain tea, it can be black tea, green tea, any form of the actual tea leaf, whatever they do with the tea leaf, as long as nothing else is added to it, it's fine. So black coffee, plain tea, plain water, and here I've got my sparkling water, no flavor added. Avoid all those ones with the flavors. They are literally everywhere you turn. It is really hard to find unflavored sparkling water sometimes, like at an airport or something. It's just all flavored, but we want to avoid that. You want it to just be your, you know, you don't want the fast to be a flavor adventure. You want it to be boring. We're not looking for something exciting to be drinking during the fast. Your eating window is where all the flavor excitement should be happening. Thank you for that because it is, it's, it's a misconception. And, you know, a lot of times I'll have people when they're starting out trying to do different forms of fasting because I use different forms depending on kind of our, our goal and, and people's right. capacity, right? Because everybody yeah. has a different capacity for this. Like I'm a, I'm a skilled faster, right? But not everybody can do that. And they white knuckle it and they freak out and it's and then they binge and all those other things. Well, you got to build up your fasting muscle, right? Just like yeah. you wouldn't get off the couch and run a marathon. You would instead do a couch to 5K where you slowly build up. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so we might use some of those tools like MCT and other stuff just to start getting you there. But the, the eventual goal is to be a, a clean, clean fast. So tell me, so this is obviously you've had talked to stories and talked to people for, you know, almost a decade now, just almost a decade, you know. <laughs> uh, what do you think trips people up the most about, you know, when they say it didn't work for them? Yeah, when, when I talk to someone who said it didn't work for them. I always say, tell me what you were drinking. And almost universally, it was someone who said, well, I saw that you could put 50 calories and, and it didn't matter. 50 calories didn't break fast. Or, well, I was drinking, you know, monster energy drinks or something. It Almost every single person who it did not work for, they were not fasting clean. So in my book, Fast, Feast, Repeat, that came out in 2020, I had something called the Clean Fast Challenge. And, you know, look, before I read the obesity code, when I had lost 75 pounds and even when it was starting to slowly come back on before I started fasting clean, I would have sworn to you that stevia and cinnamon and gum and all the stuff I was having, the, the you know, the diet sodas, I would have sworn to you those worked for me. It wasn't until I got rid of them 
and felt the clean fast that I realized they they were not working for me. So anybody who is doing something like that and you think it's working for you, I would challenge you to take the clean fast challenge and try it. But that's the number one reason it didn't work for someone is they weren't fast and clean. The other equally as important, I guess, thing that makes people think it's not working is they didn't give it time. You know, they'll start and they'll do it for like, First of all, they're not fast and clean, but then they give it a week and their weight goes up. And then they're like, well, that didn't work for me. And so in the 28 day fast start of, the, of, of my, my program, my approach outlined in fast feast repeat, I tell people don't even get on the scale. You can get on the scale on day zero, get some baseline measurements if you want. But for the first 28 days, you've got one goal. It is every day you're going to fast clean and you are not going to weigh, you're not going to expect to lose weight. You might even gain weight because your body's not metabolically flexible yet. When your eating window comes, you might overeat. That does settle down eventually once you're metabolically flexible. So having the idea that it's not going to be quick weight loss, like nothing makes me madder than going through the grocery store checkout and you see those magazines right there that are like, lose 30 pounds. Like what is it? We're recording this right now in a July. It'll be like, lose 50 pounds by Labor Day. Oh yeah. I mean, you're not going to lose 50 pounds by Labor Day unless we're talking, unless it's like you're talking Labor Day of 2024. Maybe you can, right? That's <laughs> in a right. year, 50 pounds would be logical, not in a month. So people have gotten from toxic diet culture this idea that we're supposed to start doing something and then have immediate dramatic results from day one. You know, we watched The Biggest Loser all those years and those people got on the scale and they're like, down 25 pounds in a week. It is physiologically impossible to lose fat at that rate. You know, we lose fat very, very slowly. We might lose a lot of inflammation or lose a lot of, you know, fluid, but actual fat loss is very, very slow. So those are the two most common mistakes, not giving it time and having unrealistic expectations and not fasting clean. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, actually we used to get phone calls in our clinic all the time. The casting directors, every time they came through te in North Texas about the, the biggest loser, they're like, oh, send your patients. So I was like, there is no way, no way I'm going to promote your crappy show yeah. and just the obscene, you know, because they have a, a very specific metabolic picture they're looking for that makes for dramatic TV, but right. really, really dangerous, you know, changes yeah. in those people's metabolism and what's happening, which is why we see such an extraordinary weight gain for those poor individuals that went through that yeah. program. And, you know, we, you, I'm sure you're familiar with the biggest loser study that they did as a follow-up after the competition. The people that had been on that show years later, their metabolisms were 500 calories a day slower than would have been predicted by their new size and weight. They actually slowed their metabolisms from what they went through. So yeah. not good. Yeah, which is not good. So I want to go back because okay. you're right. When people, when the idea of fasting, not that they're, I mean, let's look at every spiritual culture, every religion has some sort of fasting regimen in it, right? Yep. There's, there was, we understood that at an intuitive rate before we had a way to sort of quantify it. But the other side of it is we have this idea that fasting is just caloric restriction, right? right. That, that was the early thing. Oh, you know, it's because you're eating less calories. Mm -hmm. But there's been studies that have been done, several different studies, different groups, different age groups, different everything, where the caloric intake was roughly the same. It was more the window. So talk right. about that, because obviously you have a great handle on that. And I want people to understand that, that they don't necessarily need to white knuckle it and then also starve at the same time. Well, and that's, that's the key. When someone is following you, the 28-day fast start as written in my book, 
you pick a plan that you would like to start with, whether you're like rip off the bandaid or whether you're going to do an easy does it approach and you're easing yourself in and you get to decide and you can also change back and forth at any time. So you're, you've got to build up your fasting muscle and you've got to take it slow and you've got to listen to your body. If you're ever shaky or nauseous, you eat, you know, we're not trying to win the fasting Olympics. And I think that's really, really important to know. And, you know, 28 days is the target, but if someone is really metabolically unhealthy and, or they've been dieting for decades, you know, it might take your body two months to adapt. And we're not trying to win any races here. This is slow and steady. You're teaching your body to do something new. And so, you know, what is the goal as far as your eating window goes? I can't tell you that because that depends on every single person. We're all very different. You know, whether you're someone that is kind of a restrained light eater, maybe you're somebody that an eight hour window is going to work really well for you because you like to graze and you like to eat smaller amounts of food. And if you tried to eat in a shorter window, that wouldn't be enough food for your body. I'm someone who does pretty well in about a five-hour eating window daily. That's about right. I open my window sometime in the afternoon, have a little something, just open my window. Then later I have dinner, maybe a little something to close my window. I'm really good at listening to my body. I know some days I need a little more. Some days I'm busy and I'm not as hungry. And so it's really a journey of self-discovery and figuring out what makes you feel good. Because yeah, one thing I know for sure is that our bodies have powerful feedback mechanisms in place that let us know when things are going well. You know, if your blood sugar dropped down to 30 and you got shaky and you felt terrible, you wouldn't need a CGM to know that. Your body tells you you're in distress. You get shaky, you feel nauseous, you know you need to eat. And we can trust our bodies. If we're putting in Real food, especially, you know, when you're putting in a bunch of ultra processed foods, you can't trust what your body's telling you because your body can't, doesn't even sense that as food. If you're eating real food and you're listening to how you feel, you can really trust those signals as you become metabolically flexible. I don't even know if I answered your question or I answered a whole different question, but. <laughs> no, you did, you know, because it's the, you know, someone will read something and they'll go, okay, I need to, I need to automatically hit that 16, eight window no. or I no. need to. And, you know, my experience clinically working with people is I'm like, let's just slowly march it backwards. Right. right? We just march mm -hmm. it backwards. Yep. And, and some people, they don't need to go any longer than an eight hour eating window. They, Absolutely. You know, yeah. My husband. He, he does a loose 16-8. He never needed to lose weight. He does it completely for the health benefits. And he eats lunch, then he has dinner, and, and it, it's no big deal for him. He never needed to lose weight. He just wants the health benefits. And so, you know, we are highly individual. You know that. Not everyone understands that. They want Jen Stevens' plan, you know. I, but you know, just as I do, someone could follow me around all day, do exactly what I do, and have completely different results. Because of bio-individuality, the foods that work best for me are not the foods that are going to work best for every other person. And because of our metabolic histories and, you know, what your gut microbiome is like. I mean, everything about us that makes us unique means that we're going to have to be our own study of one. And I think that should be empowering. You know, you don't want someone who tells you exactly what to do because they don't live in your body. Yeah, I, thank you for saying that because, <laughs> now that, you know, because it's, it's so easy to you know, follow somebody and go, I'm just going to do what that person does. Right. right? And, and then when you don't get the results, it's like, there's something wrong with you. There's nothing right. wrong with you. You just got different results because yep. you are a different metabolic creature and we have to exactly. honor that. And we have to honor that. So tell me, so what's coming up for you, Jen? Like what's, what do you see happening down the road? What's your like next year or two look like? 
well, I'm just in a groove. I'm just doing what I'm doing. I have nothing new project. No, well, I have a book coming out in December, but that's already written. So 28 day fast start day by day for people who really need like more with them, you know, day by day. Here's what you, here's day one. I'm still not telling you exactly. You know, you're still, you know, finding your plan, but it, I'm, I'm guiding you through day by day, helping you with the support that you need to find your way in this. So that's coming up. You know, I've got two podcasts. One of them is intermittent fasting stories that I've been doing since, since 2018 and two episodes of that come out every week. And I don't see that stopping. And I just started one with a, a friend um, as my co-host, it's called fast feast, repeat intermittent fasting for life. And we answer listener questions. We share inspirational stories. We have tweak of the week for people you know, to see what they might want to change up, what they're doing. So I also have a community at jenstevens.com slash community. And I don't really see anything. You know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. My mission in life, just like you said, with body positivity and learning to work with our own bodies. You know, I've got a certain body shape that is my body shape. I am not going to be you know, I'm not going to be someone who's long and lanky with, you know, waif-like legs. I've got cellulite. I've got thighs. I, I'm, <laughs> I've got what I've got. And my goal is for people to learn to appreciate their body, to learn to work with it, and to know that we get a lot farther by loving our bodies than hating them. Because even when I was 210 pounds, my body was trying to protect me. You know, my body was not working against me. I didn't know how to work with my body yet. So we can improve our health. We can, and, and it's very empowering to realize that you get to steer your own ship. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, you know, I started this entire podcast. A, I wanted to get the science out to women that were struggling right. in, in our age group because you and I are the same age. Just, I'm just slightly behind you, but just by a few months, you know. <laughs> but the other thing is, is I do. I think women have this burning desire. You know, women's contribution to the world is actually greater at over 50 than it was for so. any of the previous decades, right, and just statistically. And that, you know, we have a voice and we go in there, but, you know, I have women come into my office and it breaks my heart because they're like, I just hate my body. You know, right. I hate everything. And I haven't, having been there, right. Haven't been like, yeah. okay, I'm in a massive fight here, but that the other, all their dreams and hopes and everything else sort of rides on what they see in the mirror, you right. know, and it's, it's heartbreaking because I was like, the world needs us now more than ever. <laughs> so yeah. We need to well, get out there. It's true. And, do and you know, the, there isn't a quick fix. Stop looking for the quick fix because the quick fixes will break your heart in the long run. And it did not take, you know, I like to think of the forest analogy. If you're in the middle of the deep of the forest, at one point, we're not in the forest. Then you got to the edge of the forest. Then you walked into the forest to get to where you are today. When you decide you want to leave the forest, you got to walk back out of it. You don't just like instantly you're out of the forest. So with your health journey, if it's taking you a while to get to where you are in the forest, it's going to take you a while to get back, but you can get back. And that's the thing. You can have a healthier future than you have right this minute, but there's not going to be a quick fix and you're going to learn to work with your body and you're going to, I mean, you may need to make some changes you weren't expecting you were going to need to make, like the foods that you're eating. And that's part of, of you know, learning to work with your body. Yeah, exactly. If I had a dollar for every time someone said, well, what supplement should I take? And I was like, believe me, I mean, you know, I, I'm a business owner, you know, on top of everything else that I do. Yeah. And believe me, if I had a pill and it worked that magically, I'd be selling it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, supplements help. And they supplement good lifestyle diet and all these other mm -hmm. things, but they do not replace it, nor do they yeah. work magically. Don't fall for the Instagram ad. 
<laughs> Definitely not. I mean, I was one of those people. I was watching Dr. Oz, and if he was selling it, I was buying it, and I was getting bigger and bigger. So, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. Is back in the day, you know. <laughs> yes. No. Exactly. We would we would just cringe every time his show would play because we'd start getting phone calls at the office. Green Do you coffee have any- bean extract. Do you yeah. have it? Raspberry ketones. Do you have it? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go strangle Dr. Oz just talking stuff on TV. So you're right. (laughs) So we definitely digress. So I want to tell everybody, so if you want to find Jen Stevens, obviously you can find her on our podcast, Mm -hmm. you know, so obviously the fast feast and repeat podcast, which is awesome. And then the fasting stories, intermittent fasting stories, and then jenstevens.com slash community. And it's G I N S like gin and tonic, like gin and tonic. And then it's S T E P h-e-n-s dot com and we'll have it in the show notes but i know people would be like j-e-n stevens right. in a different like completely different be like can't find her gin and tonic stevens with the ph <laughs> yeah there you go. perfect perfect yeah. well jen this has been a fabulous conversation and hopefully you have helped sort of uh wrap up some questions about fasting for my community and help them understand it a little bit better so thank you well, so much for, for having being me. on yes Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love, and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD, and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com. 